Hello, this is Dan. Hi, this is Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews. You're darn tootin'. Uh, Dan, what do we do here? On this particular podcast, we are watching the top 100 movies of all time, as chosen by IMDb voters. And we're watching them. Circa 2019, holiday (laughs) season. This is actually a re-recording, I should say. Why? Because we got some new mics. Oh. And audio editing is a nightmare, and I don't know (laughs) how to use Audacity and microphones to make us sound good, so. Well, you look good. Oh, you we're, look good. We're dating. On yeah. The yeah. <laughs> we're 30 we're plus episodes in. We're dating, guys. We're, we're, FYI, a, we're, a, we're an item. With our references to our cat son and our apartment. We're not just roommates, we're lovers. Oh boy, lovers. Uh, what are we talking about today, Dan? Today we're talking about Django Unchained. It's the fourth and final Quentin Tarantino movie. It was released in, well, on this list. Yes. He's it, made. 10 thus far he's made nine nine and i actually looked it up they are going to be in release order reservoir dogs pulp fiction jackie brown i believe after this is kill bill death proof inglorious bastards and then after inglorious bastards we've got Django unchained hateful eight and then the most recent one is once upon a time in hollywood which we got to see in theaters before the world went to shit yes this one's 2012. Uh, I guess that Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood didn't make the cut. So, yeah, most recent Tarantino right here. Didn't um, didn't Brad Pitt get an Oscar? Yeah, they uh, Leonardo was nominated for Best Act. I don't know all their awards, but... Well, anyway, Django's pretty good. I would <laughs> yes. probably call it one of the top 100 movies of all time. Yes, I would agree. So we uh, start off, we're in the woods, Uh, there's a pair of slave drivers, the Peck brothers, and they are driving a group of slaves seemingly from one end of the country to another, and they are beset upon by a German dentist known as King Schultz. He is portrayed by Christoph Waltz, who was the Jew hunter in Inglorious Bastards, evil Nazi, and now he's a charming bounty hunter, also German in uh 1858 america and it's headcanon that he's an immortal and in 1930 he becomes known as hans landa yeah he became disenfranchised with the human condition and uh (laughs) turned to nazism so really weird timeline but what well that's funny because tarantino movies are said to all exist in the same timeline they're all in the same universe and they make references to one another you know, like the same cigarette brand will be in multiple different movies and things like that. So maybe he has a son back in Germany that he doesn't necessarily know about. And that son, well, born in 1860, was Albert Einstein. Oh, stop. Is that what you were going for? <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe I cut your bit off. No, I was just trying to think how the, how Hans Landa. I mean, maybe if he had a kid that's already a year or two, and then that kid has a kid. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, they had children young back then. 1858? When you were 14, you're expected to be a mother of five. It was wild. It, and then wild you would West. die at 18. <laughs> yeah, Will Smith was running around with a little switchblade in his shoe. Fighting spider mechs. Crazy times. <laughs> the scene concludes with Dr. Schultz asking for Django, who is played by Jamie Foxx, and he's in the lineup. Of Slaves. Of slaves, yeah. Django is a slave. And he kills the Peck brother who drew a gun on him. And then 
uh, injures the horse of the other guy. And that lands on him. Yeah, that so lands on him and breaks his leg. Trapped under a horse. Yes. And then he uh, throws some cash down on the horse and makes off with Django and describes to the other slaves where the North Star is, how to get out of there. Really, um... He also gives him a gun. He does. He leaves a gun with him. And it establishes a couple things. You know, Christoph Waltz, a.k.a. King Schultz, is a very charming and uh, charismatic guy. Really likable. And they make abundantly clear at the very beginning that even though he is in this universe and he is a white man in the universe of slave trading, like that point in history, Quentin Tarantino wants you to know that he does not like slavery. It is okay to like this guy. He's not He's not pro-slavery at all. He's basically a 2020 mindset in a 1858 German, which is important because you can't have someone in 1858 be even a little sympathetic to slavery and still have them be a likable character. You know, any, any sympathies are pretty damning. Well, it's four years off from the Civil War or two years off? I think, oh yeah, it gives a title card. It's, it's, my American history is pretty pathetic, but it's, no, it's one of those. No, 60 something. Hold on. Um, while you're looking that up, the other thing that this movie gets established right at the outset is that it's going to be over the top and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The gunshots are explosive and the impacts are equally explosive. Blood and guts fly everywhere. And it is really brutal. Um, there's a scene at the beginning here where the uh, freed slaves, the recently freed slaves, shoot the remaining slaver point blank with a shotgun and create a literal geyser of viscous blood uh, before they make their way to freedom. So, when's that civil war? 1861 to 1865. Okay, so three years before the. Unless you don't well, count April 58 because. I, what month is it? Right. It's it's actually two and a half, which yeah. might as well be rounded up to three. Anyhow, uh, Schultz and Django are now together, and they make their way to Texas? They're already in Texas, but they make their way to the next town, I suppose, where King Schultz has some business. Mm-hmm. He takes Django to a saloon in... They, they roll up into town... And everyone's like, is that that slave on a horse? And he's already causing a commotion. And they go into the inn. And King asks for beers. Innkeeper's like, I'm still, you know, opening up. And we can see him fussing with the light. And he turns around to see a black person. And he freaks out. And he's like, Sheriff, I'm getting the sheriff. And King, as he shoos him out the door, says, yes, make sure it's the sheriff, not the marshal. And they sit down and have a couple beers, and this is when we get some establishment that King doesn't want a slave, but it behooves his situation that Django can't say no to what he needs help with, because he wants to find the Brittle Brothers. And Django was previously on the same plantation the Brittle Brothers were working for, so Django would be able to point them out in a field. I guess I should uh, walk back what I said earlier, where... If the character is at all sympathetic to slavery, they're out, you know? Yeah. Because he is kind of sympathetic. As you just said, he uses the the phrase, I detest slavery, but, but it would it would be helpful to me if you weren't in a spot to refuse assisting. So 
so he does use it but i guess um the the filmmaker kind of offset that by having him free six people and equip them with a weapon yeah and throughout the rest of the movie he is very sympathetic and treats Django with uh, respect and dignity uh, even though he has him technically in his ownership he does also say that he will free Django when they're done yes yeah so you know you you know the British brothers you have to help me and then when you're done you get 75 bucks and you're on your way now this is the point where we don't learn the legend but we do learn that Django has a wife from Hilda, and he's going to go free her. And we get a little cut back to Bruce Dern uh, splitting them up uh, at the Karukin plantation. Bruce Dern plays old man Karukin. And we see a brief flashback where after they tried to escape, uh, Bruce Dern says, sell them separate, sell Django cheap. And then we lead into the opening sequence where, you know, he's en route to to texas or through texas for whatever reason but you skipped over that they shot the sheriff oh really that came uh yeah you are correct my bad <laughs> sorry for doing that but who shot the sheriff well i shot the sheriff but i didn't shoot the deputy thank you for that do you want to i got my no, notes okay. mixed up there quickly uh bring us through that yeah pretty good scene hopping back sheriff comes in and he gets shot by king and king's like okay now you can get the marshal. Marshal comes back and he's telling everybody, "All right, all right, we gotta fight. So get in the window, get a gun. For God's sake, somebody get poor Bill out of the street." <laughs> and he's talking to Schultz, and he's like, "Why'd you do that, man? Get out here!" And Schultz's like, "So you can shoot me in the street like a dog? Don't do that." <laughs> and so he's a real smooth talker, smooth operator. And he comes out and he reveals that good old Sheriff Bill was a cattle rustler. And if the marshal would be so kind, he could, uh, he could see the pamphlet that Schultz has for him. And actually, you owe me money for killing your friend. All right, Django, let's go. Mm -hmm. So that's some good characterization from Schultz, I think. Yeah, he's really on top of everything. And Christoph Waltz is just so, so charming of an actor. Even when he played Hans Landa and was evil on screen, he was so charismatic and he really stole every scene he was in. Same here. I mean, Jamie Foxx is very good at uh, at acting. He's very good in this role, but it, it's really the Christoph Waltz show uh, as far as I am concerned. So they plan their act and Dr. Schultz describes how important it is to maintain the act that uh, I am, uh, I being Dr. Schultz. Dr. Schultz is the person looking to purchase a slave, and Django is his valet. He's a free man who is employed as his valet. Gets to pick his own clothes, and it comes up that he picks this. Now, I guess if you're a Tarantino fan, it would be an iconic blue suit, you know, as far as those lasting images from his movies that you think of, you know, the briefcase and book fiction or the suits in reservoir dogs you've got this blue suit from django right it it's only in a portion of the movie but damn is it uh is it cool it's just a ridiculous ruffled suit and it's what he picks as his outfit for the valet role they arrive in texas at the big house tennessee tennessee thank you 
uh, all over the South. But anyway, we're at the big house, and Big Daddy, Mr. Bennett, is like, get out of here. (laughs) And King's like, I actually have $5,000, and I would like to buy one of your women. And then there's this funny scene where (laughs) Big Daddy uh, is trying to figure out how Django should be treated because Schultz reminds him that Django's a free man and he tells the girl he's asking to show Django around to treat him nice and she's like you want me to treat him like white people? He's like no. (laughs) No no no. Uh, And then there's a really fun back and forth with him and some other folks about who's that idiot boy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh treat him treat him like Jerry. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, Django gets paraded around. She's trying to tell him where everything is. And he is looking for three men who would have come within the past, I think it was two years? Yeah, he describes these circumstances. He plays a bit of a detective. You know, he's looking for the Brittle Brothers, but she doesn't know them. And he describes, you know, the three men that might have arrived. And she says, oh, you mean the Schaefers? And he says, yeah. Where are they? She points him out. He pulls out his telescope, looks across a field and sees one. And we get another flashback. And this one is to uh, an escape attempt, which is very uh, effective. I'll say it's, it's really, really effective because he sees his previous captor. Flashback, it's him and Broomhilda, who's played by Carrie Washington. I just double-checked. So him and Broomhilda are in a field they're getting ready to go and there's a modern song i don't know the artist but it is a modern song made with these soul music influences clearly and it's a very dramatic emotional sounding song and these two characters are standing holding hands getting ready to run across a field you hear all these people in the background and dogs barking and they run across this field right at the the up tempo of the song like right when it gets really dramatic and these torches are behind them and it's just this wild scene and really intense it it uh the scene is effective at showing the gravity of everything going on you know because up until now we're on uh pretty much just a little fun trip with the assassin german and uh ha he's he's so nice to Django, and now they're drinking beer and all these stupid racists are freaking out about the fact that this black man is being treated like a human what a time and then we see escape attempt uh things are horrible all of a sudden you know okay um and then the whipping scene. Yeah, so got to... Now we get to see... Do we see Broomhilda getting whipped? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, she gets she gets whipped because uh, he's like pleading like after the escape attempt that she's a house slave because she's very pretty and you can't whip her because she won't be good as a house slave at that point. And Django's in this flashback begging for himself to be whipped because it was his idea. And then we cut to present where he tells um i forget the woman who was showing him around but he tells this slave to go get the white man he came with being dr schultz mm-hmm. and goes to confront the other two brittle brothers well cut well because they're whipping little judy mm. for breaking eggs yes they're gonna go they're, they're, the schaefer brothers are gonna whip her and i don't i think it's john He's reading Bible verses, and he's like, you're not going to break eggs again. Ha ha. And he's got 
verses, pages stapled to his shirt. And he's a real son of a bitch, looking dirty. I don't know, it's the South and it's hot, but he just looks greasy. And that's obviously on purpose. That and actually made me realize that you pointed that out. The character outfitting is really good in this movie. You know, that the outfits and the, the costuming, really cool. Especially because they make this, the difference between Dr. Schultz, our hero, who is a guy running around in the hot south, and John Brittle, who is a, also a guy running around in the hot south. One looks, you know, heroic, and the other looks dirty, sweaty, lascivious, disgusting. So, Which he is. Yes. Unfortunately, I know for me, if I was running around in the hot south, I would look lascivious and disgusting, because I can't even handle hot Wisconsin. You would definitely look like uh, Dr. Schultz I've more been... than John Brittle. Thank you. You're welcome. I've been trying to go no poo, you know, no shampoo. <laughs> is that what I That thought? is what it means. <laughs> and I just feel greasy all the time. It doesn't look greasy at all. Oh, thank you. I don't know. I just... I don't know if it's for me. I'm figuring it out. Anyway. Django stops John just in time. He knocks the whip out of his hand or something. He shoots him? Yeah, he shoots him. And uh, he gets John right in the chest. He kills him before he can whip Judy. And then the other brother is, I don't know, drunk or something because he's trying to get his gun and he can't get it. And Django picks up the whip. And is this right now when he says to everyone, you want to see something funny? And he starts whipping the no, brother? No, he uh, whips the guy and then everyone gathers around to watch him whip the guy. And then he says, do you folks want to see something? And he pulls out his pistol and executes him. Ah, yes. Uh, the right black man the killing the white guy in front of a bunch of slaves. Yes. It's going to rile things up. It is known because King Schultz is like running over. What are you doing, man? And I love his reaction in this moment. He comes up. Two dead bodies are on the ground and Jango's there. And Schultz sprints up on his horse, jumps off. He's got a rifle in the hand. He's like, who are these guys? <laughs> what? Is, what's going on? Who are they? He's not. He doesn't even look mad. It's just intense in the moment. He's like, okay, makes sense. Tell me though. Yeah, and across the field we can see one riding off on a horse, and Django's like, "There's the third brother." And Schultz is tracking him, and they have a little bit about, "Are you sure that's him? Are you positive? I don't know. What does positive mean? Yes, I'm sure." And then. Schultz just shoots him right up there. And he gets him. He kills him. So he's an excellent marksman. Mm -hmm. And now Big Daddy has come. And he's like, hi, what the hell? And King Schultz gets to again explain, oh, we have wanted bills for these men. And Big Daddy's like, fine, just get out of here. But obviously that's not the end of it. Mm -hmm. We cut to the carriage in the middle of a field. And Schultz is pulling out the money he keeps in his dentist tooth. Yeah, I guess we didn't mention specifically they ride a wagon with a wobbly tooth on top because his cover is a dentist and, and he cute. stores all his bounty money in there. Super cute. Yes. Cute cover. Um, and he replaces the money with dynamite, which is not cute. It's deadly. It's very deadly. It's nighttime and we know what's happening because we see three men, uh, the landowner, Jonah Hill, and someone <laughs> I don't recognize. Yeah. So... I think it's a fun little role for Jonah Hill. You would never expect him. It's kind of, um, what's the opposite of immersive? It's, the only phrase I can think of is fourth wall breaking. 
And it's not fourth wall breaking because he doesn't look at the camera and go, hey, I'm funny, man, Jonah Hill, you know? But it is something that everyone watching is like, what the fuck? That's Jonah Hill. What's he doing? Is that super bad? Why is he here? That kind of ties, if, if you recall, during our Reservoir Dogs review, I mentioned how some actors are so noticeable, like Steve Buscemi or Forrest Whitaker or Christopher Walken were my examples. And I think that this is an example, because my point back then was that those people do have roles where they just disappear and you don't think, holy shit, that's Steve Buscemi. Because right. when I watch Fargo and Steve Buscemi shows up as that hitman guy, I'm like, oh, that's that's Steve Buscemi, fun. But in this movie, and then in Reservoir Dogs, I'm like, oh, I stopped noticing Steve Buscemi. That's Mr. Pink. Great yeah. casting. Here, it's basically that concept except fun. It's Jonah Hill. And I think that's effective. I don't think it detracts, even though we all know it's Jonah Hill. And Jonah Hill is certainly not a 1858 racist. Um, or is he? Maybe. We don't know his secret lives. He might have a Lazarus pit in his mansion in Hollywood or something. That's how Ra's al Ghul stays eternally young in Batman. He has Lazarus pits. Um, Ra's al Ghul is played by Liam Neeson in Batman Begins. He's a classic villain. He's immortal. Just go the normal route and keep a portrait in your attic. Okay. <laughs> Miss literature. <laughs> Miss, I read books. Uh, I certainly tried to read a portrait of Dorian Gray. The language is very flowery. Oh, yeah. Oscar Wilde. Purple is, prose. Uh, yeah, he's a very purple man. Or was, I suppose. But do you ever die when people still say your name? Yeah, what is that? Is that a... a Banksy quote or something. It's not Banksy. I don't remember who it is. Yeah, but. I don't know. You die two deaths. Yeah. Anyhow, take us through this little racist rampage of... Well, it's a cute racist rampage. <laughs> you know? It's adorable. It's it's some good old boys, and they all have white... They all have white... <laughs> pati- <laughs> <laughs> what do they have on the, What do these good old boys have on their heads? Please tell us. I won't squeak. They got a bunch of white potato-looking sacks on their heads with eye holes cut out, but everyone can agree the eye holes are not good holes. And I can't see shit out of this. And they have this long conversation about, should we go with the bags? Shouldn't we go with the bags? And the guy whose wife made them gets pissed, and he says, okay, fine, you're never going to get anything from me and mine again. And he rides off, and they're still back talking about the bags, do we go on this rampage with the bags? And one of them says, well, okay. This time, no bags. Next time, full regalia. <laughs> I think the bags were a nice idea. <laughs> um, but they can't see anything out of it. And Big Daddy's like, I'm the leader. We're wearing the bags. <laughs> it's like a five-minute scene. Yeah, where and they're I just think... arguing about how much the bags are effective or not. And, one, this is a reference to the group that came before the KKK. I think, like, the revolutionists or something. Um, hold on. But you said something about how he had a new editor, and this editor didn't reel him in. And I think this is one of the uh, yeah. examples of that. So, oh. I forget the timeline, but he had this woman who was his primary editor on his films... And she passed away. And I saw a Reddit thread that basically was talking about how you can really see the absence of this editor. I can't recall the first movie that he filmed without her. 
at the helm, but the examples were kind of saying like, look, you watch something like Pulp Fiction, and yeah, it's a long movie, but when you watch it, it feels really tight. And then you watch something like The Hateful Eight, which is like three and a half goddamn hours, and 30 minutes of it are horses walking through snow. You know, and it's like if there was a real stern editor at the helm for that, those scenes wouldn't be there. Um, I, again, I don't know the exact movie that she comes in on, but, you know. Right. Um, but they all charge in, and we see over the ridge of this canyon thingy that they're charging. Django and Dr. Schultz are watching them all just running around the carriage because they can't see. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that the dynamite tooth gets shot, but I don't remember if Schultz did that or Django did that. Yeah. Uh, Schultz shoots a dynamite tooth and it sends them all scattering and they ah. freak out and then they're watching him run and Schultz says like, hey, do you want to shoot Big Daddy? And Django's like, oh, I'm honored. And uh, he draws a bead, gets the shot off, kills Big Daddy, and then they take back off to their basically their base camp kind of where we initially learned about Broomhilda and this is the scene where Schultz kind of cracks up and says hey like it's very funny to me that your wife is Broomhilda she speaks German there's a very apt legend about Broomhilda she's saved by this hero named Siegfried because her father keeps her in a tower protected by a fire-breathing dragon on a mountain on a mountain and then Siegfried goes and saves her so he's realizing that you know his heritage is a honorable German man or whatever and his relationship with Django has kind of indebted him to Django to help him get Broomhilda because the original plan was you go off to um, the south and find where your wife went you have 75 bucks but even in the best of circumstances, as a black man in 1858 or 1859, it's dicey at best to go yeah. anywhere. <laughs> so they agree. They tell the story. And I love this particular scene for one shot. And it's when, um, well, two things, I guess. First off, King Schultz is telling the story of Broomhilda. And he's framed in a very strange way that stood out to me. And when you watch a movie, you know. But basically, he's in front of this big rock. There's a fire casting a goal on them. So it's basically this purpley orange background of a giant rock. And he's set in the bottom right of the frame. It's like just his head and shoulders. He's very small in the frame. And it seems very weird when you look at it, but it pretty much forces you to look at Schultz for all of this empty space. You're forced to look at the one guy. And it's a bizarre shot, and I like it a lot. And the second is how enthusiastically Django is listening to the story. Because when Schultz says there is a story about Broomhilda, you know, in German legend, he doesn't say anything. He just gets up and sits cross-legged right in front of Schultz, like just eager to hear this uh, story. And I thought it was really touching, like for as violent as the movie is, these people, uh, they, they still get eager and they still carry. You know, you watch so many action movies where they're like, I'm hard <laughs> and uh, I don't have feelings. And here they, they, they very much do. And it makes them very endearing folks. So. Yeah, definitely endearing. In the next scene, when they're snipering a man who is with his son, uh, we've found out that Schultz has been teaching Django to read because mm -hmm. Django's getting cold feet about shooting this man. Schultz is like, I thought you wanted to learn. You have to be hard. 
doesn't matter that his son is there. Look at this handbill. This is Smitty Bacall. Mm -hmm. He's a piece of shit. Look at this terrible drawing of a man with a mustache. It could be anyone, but that's Smitty. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I was just remembering the last time when we recorded this, I said Smitty Bacall had a snowman gang. Oh, yeah. Smitty Bacall the snowman. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that's a different thing. That's Sm what happens next. So Django does shoot Smitty Bacall in front of his son. We can hear the son go, Papa or Daddy or one of those. I don't know. Veda. Pater. <laughs> so he is, he has done his first bounty and he gets the hold of the Smitty Bacall bill. Schultz gives it to him and through the snow they trek with the body of Smitty, presumably. And they get to, uh, it looks like a fur trader outpost. Oh, I, we kind of mix up the timeline here. Why? Um he kills Smitty Bacall because they agree to help one another. Django will help Schultz through the winter. You said that already. Yeah. Uh, but they are starting the winter and they kill Smitty Bacall. And then there's montages of them like killing people in a crossfire and ambushing a bunch of folks. And they're bringing basically like five or six dead bodies on their horses to the sheriff that you're about to describe. So like a lot of time has passed between Smitty Bacall and the arrival. But it's kind of um, it's kind of built in to be a quick time lapse where, you know, here's point A, we're killing Smitty Call, and then point B is, we are really in the full swing of things, and uh, Django's a great shot, and they are a good team to bounty hunt together, and they bring him over to the sheriff, who at this point knows both of them because he comes out and he's like, oh Schultz, Django, how you doing? Come on in, all that sort of stuff. So you basically, yeah, you want some cake? It's all right. Uh, basically, uh, a whole winter is encapsulated in a few brief moments to establish that these guys are becoming good friends. And I think it works. Yeah, very and they well. also shoot snowmen together. Yeah, he does his target practice and uh, is just a Django's a crack shot, natural, never misses, can shoot anything. Crack shot. And then at, I wonder if that's where they're drinking coffee when they talk about this or if they're in like a town they're in a town okay they're in a town and they're talking over more coffee and Django reveals that um well Calvin Candy has her Django doesn't reveal that Schultz gets that from um a book some ledger but, yeah but we found out that Django knew because her face got scarred when they escaped she's probably been a comfort girl this whole time yeah and that really stuck with me because you knew before signing on, I'm sure the way they wrote Schultz, if if Django says, hey, I'll help you pay back any debt I might accrue during this, but my wife is probably being prostituted out against her will right now because she was scarred in a runaway attempt. So if we could get the show on the road and not do the winter, that'd be awesome. But instead, they just kind of go through the winter. Yeah. So whatever. But Calvin Candy has her... And he likes to do slave fighting, which is a made-up thing, we have learned, but still pretty messed up concept. It's probably not entirely made up. It's probably as made up as bum fights. Yeah, which are definitely true. Really? Yeah. Um, oh. That's a, like a homebrew documentary series where a piece of shit truly went out and truly paid homeless people money to fight one another or degrade themselves. Okay, but it. mm. that's one guy. 
There's not like a secret ring of bum fights the way there is dog fights, is there? I don't know. That's always the thing that stands out to me because there's one guy who got really famous doing it, and I'm sure he really uh, imprinted upon a ton of people. So I'm sure that people still do take advantage of like vulnerable populations and stuff I mean, like my true. homeless people but um you know it, it's really dark and while they do have their main character being the lead of this uh you know slave fighting ring i have to imagine that there were a great deal of slave owners who found a lot of entertainment in forcing their slaves to fight i, I haven't heard about it in any history class but we all know that american history classes kind of uh, put the true atrocities on the backseat to make it seem like we're living in a great, cheery, uh, friendly country when we're not. Okay, so the play now, Django played a valet. Now Django gets to play a fighting expert. And he can judge slaves and he can tell if they're good fighters. And he's going to help Schultz, who is interested in buying a slave for fighting, to pick one out. So... He's going to be a black slaver, which is the lowest of the low. So he has to be a real bastard for this role. And they gather up. They go meet. They go meet. They're going to meet Calvin Candy, but they're not in Candyland just yet. They're they get to meet... at his gentleman's club in like somewhere else in Mississippi or the south somewhere, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Maybe Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. But as you were saying, they go meet Leo. Um, who Leo, is, yeah, his uh, Calvin's attorney. Oh, and, not Leo DiCaprio. No, they go meet uh, the guy's character name is Leo. Leo the lawyer. Yeah, and they actually meet Calvin right away, and witness a fight that we were just talking about at this gentleman's club. Yes, he likes to be called Monsieur Candy, but he can't even speak French. He's a bitch ass hypocrite. He's a neophyte <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and they're in this yes. gentleman's lounge yeah and calvin candy is cheering on his slave to kill the other guy he's like kill him kill him yeah and he he hands him like a, an iron yeah he gives him a ball peen hammer i believe jesus christ and he makes the guy kill the other person it's messed up and the disgruntled loser who's some italian yeah, some Italian slaver who some we Italian, never see yeah. again. He doesn't matter, matter. But he gets to go to the bar and he's like, who are you, Django, black person? That's insane. And Django spells his name, which is like a big deal because typically they do not teach slaves how to read yeah. or write. So that's fucked up. And it shows that Django truly is like not a slave. He's something other. Yeah, he has he's definitely unchained. been unchained. He, yeah, he's been unchained at this point. He's set loose. I mean, truly though, because Schultz gave him his role. He is filling it to accomplish his uh, his mission, and it is he is at the title namesake. So uh, we are en route to Candyland at this point, and not the board game. Not the board game. We are going to Calvin Candy's nightmarish. Um, plantation and on the way we see Django really commit to the character of uh, being a slaver black slaver and he really riles up the hatred of the people that they're bringing to Candyland it's more important that he's a black slaver 
Yeah. Than anything. Because he's he's supposed to be this vile person who has betrayed his own kind. Mm-hmm. He's playing the lowest of the low, lower than the head house slave. And he is doing so because success means he gets his wife back. So, 100% yummy, yummy. in on it. Delicious wife. Oh, God. Django can have little a wife as a treat sometime. <laughs> Only if he succeeds in being a hateful uh, villain character. But, en route to Candyland, we see D'Artagnan, who is a slave fighter that belongs to Calvin Candy. He has tried to run away. He's been run up in a tree by these despicable hillbilly-looking gross people who live in a hut. And there's this drunk who is completely illegible and not understood, and he has dogs, and they basically play a very cruel game with D'Artagnan where Calvin Candy says, oh, I have a soft heart, but I have to be firm when you try and run away. And he orders uh, his dogs to attack D'Artagnan because he paid $500 for D'Artagnan and he expects to get five fights for $500 and he only got three. So to make an example, he six dogs on him. Now during this particular exchange, Christoph Waltz, uh, who is King Schultz, tries to buy D'Artagnan with $500, and Django knows that that is not something that a hardened slaver would do. So he cancels the deal and basically signs the death warrant of D'Artagnan to maintain cover. And uh, there's this great scene here where Calvin Candy is staring down Django just to see if he cracks as D'Artagnan is ripped up. And uh, it's really disgusting and really gruesome, and it shows that for as fun and goofy as the movie can be with these bounty hunters out getting their bounties it is also not afraid to go to some very dark places to show like the depths of evil because candy runs the same risk as uh, hans landa being a likable charming character and even though we all hate him because he's a slaver and he's gross uh he is still played by leo dicaprio and he has a natural charisma so this is one of those scenes that just shows like, hey, hate this guy. He is scum. And it's like, okay, easily done, easily hated. But yeah. On their, yeah. As they continue on their way to Candyland, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess you would call it a kerfuffle, I don't know, between Django and Walton Goggins and some of the other men. And they're horsing up. And they're making fun of Django, and Django says, here you go. And he knocks someone over he, on their horse. Yeah, and he like that, just yanks their horse to the ground, which I guess must be easy, because he makes it look easy. He pulls the whole horse over. Horse has got those tiny legs. <laughs> little stick legs. Yeah. It's Real just thick thighs. Tiny little shins. It's like uh, a hot dog on two toothpicks. And that's how I draw horses anyway. Real <laughs> long like that, too. Yeah. Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> they glisten. I like my horses to shine. Anyway, he pulls... Groban likes his ladies to pop. Yeah, Josh Groban likes it when his ladies pop. And his horses to shine. Yes, this is established Groban lore. 
Groban lore. This is in the Grobanomicon. Grobanomicon? Necronomicon? Grobanomicon. Yes. So we come to Candyland now. We are here at Candyland with Mosa, Candy, Django, King Schultz, and the gang. And King Schultz is a German speaker. He's established this with Candy already. So when they get there, Mosa Candy asks the head house slave, none other than Samuel L. Jackson, where's the German one? Says, Hildy's in the hotbox. She tried to escape again. And the hotbox is a terrible, full of water, kept naked. I assume it's hot. I assume she's boiling in there, much like a horse hot dog might. Oh, God. And... She's not having a good time, but she gets to be sussed out so that she can be paraded for Dr. King, Dr. Schultz. I wonder if that's on purpose. Where? Dr. King. Oh, shit. Maybe. That would kind of raise um, a very interesting question about this movie that I'm not personally equipped to have. The conversation about but i bet that someone out there has done an investigation of this in conjunction with like the white savior uh stereotype or trope because he quite literally is dr king schultz is a white savior in the movie and i'm sure that there's a lot of connotation and uh research to be done on it but now that i mention it seems like something i might want to look up but yeah, the fact that he's named Dr. King kind of complicates that even further because that's, that's not okay. To... And that's not a common German name. No. Is Schultz German? Schultz, I do believe, is German. Okay. Kaiser is Kaiser Wilhelm. So if that's it was King, K- right? Yeah, if it was Kaiser Schultz, <laughs> maybe that makes sense. But they pick names for a reason. I think Django is based off of a 1950s... Like, this is a rehash of a story, right? I don't know if it's a rehash or, like, a retelling, because you're 100% correct. Like, the main title card that plays at the beginning Mm -hmm. and all that music, that is from the old movie. And it's written by Morricone, who did, like, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Oh. And all that. So, like, the movie isn't written. The music is. He's the composer. Um, But, yeah, it's an older movie of Django... And I'm sure that it wasn't even tied to him being a, you know, in freed slave bounty hunter or anything to do with it. But at, a, at the very least pulls from that. Mm-hmm. But in any case, there's a lot to unpack about race relations, obviously, in the movie. It's about fucking slavery. Like, uh, just don't know how tactfully it's approached. And I'm sure that smarter people than myself have investigated it. Didn't. Uh, Tarantino really botched a lot of interviews, too. Yeah, he made a fool out of himself on the interview circuit. But at the same time, I was revisiting that because um, I think I brought that up in the Reservoir Dogs th- uh, review. Um, but basically, he went on and did, like, stereotypical uh, black character voices that you might hear someone trying to do, like when Steve Carell tries to do the... Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy impersonation in The Office. He basically did that on an interview show hosted by uh, black reporters. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he, he made a fool out of himself. And then on the other side of it, when Samuel L. Jackson was doing the press uh, tour for it, 
I remember seeing an interview where he's being interviewed by this uh, very stereotypical film school looking kid who was white. And he asked Samuel L. Jackson, oh, how do you feel about the content of the movie and the prodigious use of the N-word and all that? And Samuel L. Jackson was just like, say the word. And the kid's like, no, I don't want to say the N-word. He's like, if you don't say the N-word, we're not going to continue the interview. And the kid said, I'm not going to say it. So he got up and left. So it's the whole press thing. I don't really know what the point is, but there's there's weird stuff tied to this press tour, you know. Like a PR stunt? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It could be. I don't think Quentin Tarantino is inept in interviews <laughs> for for clicks or anything, but he might be on a whole different level than than me or you. It's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. So, it's about to be dinner. It is dinner. And they're having a meeting with the doctor. And uh, he's going to get shown Hildy. She'll come up to his room. And they're like preparing her. Really gross kind of connotation happening here. She definitely is a comfort girl. She's going to speak German to the doctor and she gets brought up to him and he brings her into the room and he offers her water and she's taken aback because he's showing kindness instead of being a creepy old man. As one might expect when someone says, oh, you have a German slave, bring her to my room. Right. And he speaks to her in German conversationally. He says he will speak slowly. I have a friend of yours here. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he builds up we're gonna help you escape and my friend's about to come out the door and Django comes out and Hildy immediately faints right I love the line doctor says you are a silver tongue devil yeah he comes out and he's like hey troublemaker and she falls over (laughs) and uh we cut at that point to dinner real dinner real dinner uh where He's got Broomhilda out as his servant, kind of, because now the game is afoot. Yes. Uh, Everyone's in on it. She gets to be a house slave because she speaks German. Mm -hmm. She's a good good person to wait on the German guest. Candy says at some point, they get to find out what's the point of bringing out a a German guest if you're not even going to bring out your German slave, you know? Like, come on. So she is out, and... We basically see the escalation of um, tension as Stephen, the head house slave, notices what's going on between Broomhilda and Django. Well, there's a... Yes, the... Yes, Candy notices, like, oh, you like Hildy, don't you? And then his sister, we didn't even touch base on this... She has a creepy relationship with him, but she says, oh, I think she has doe eyes for Django. And that's when we see the light switch on in Steven's head. But the relationship with the sister, they, like, hug real tight and kiss on the mouth. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think it's definitely inserted just to make you even more grossed out. The South. Yeah, Candy and his sister and these slavers and stuff. They're very... That's true. Yucky, incestuous. Even the clean ones are uckers. Yes. (laughs) At this point, uh, with the light clicking on, Stephen asks, 
Candy to come in to take care of dessert, or he needs help with yeah. some something in the kitchen. There is the uh, big push moment where Stephen says, oh, "I bet, right. uh, I bet Schultz doesn't really have slaves over in Germany. He's never seen a whipped up back." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they bring a hand out to like rip open Hildy's dress and show these horrific whip scars, which prompts Django to unholster his pistol below the table, mm-hmm. which Stephen sees and he gets this dark expression that he truly knows what's up and he's about to blow the whole lid off, which is when he calls Candy over to the to the library to kind of wise him up. Because at this point they've established a deal for the slave fighter Eskimo Joe for $12,000, which according to Wikipedia, thank you Wikipedia, is three hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars in twenty nineteen bills. Seems like a lot of money, but is that a lot of money to own a person? No, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a shockingly low amount to own a human. Um, in in our, you could pay. You know what? No, never mind. I was gonna make a very off-color joke, but yeah, not worth it. You could pay me three hundred thousand hot dogs and I might do what you want for the night. <laughs> that's all it takes. Yeah, that's, all, that's a lot of hot dogs. Just a Lambo field full of hot dogs. That'd be our whole kitchen's worth at least. Just stacked neatly. <laughs> oh, how, yeah, I guess I kind of thought about them loose and haphazard but neatly stacked hot dogs. That yeah. hits a certain note in my heart. I mean, that's the only way. Who has the buns? Do we need buns? No. Are we splitting these hot dogs? No. Oh. <laughs> these are for you. You specifically said. Oh, I know you like hot dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't, can't keep them in this house. Maybe uh, if we filled the kitchen top to bottom. Could keep them for a night. With some dogs. Oh, and there's the Pugsley factor. He would murder those dogs. Yeah, he'd, he would... <laughs> He would actually, we could see him doubling in size as the night goes on from the sheer amount of hot dogs. Just wobbles out. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if any of this is steak. <laughs> this is all very much for us. Um, so. Uh, I was going to say, real quick. Yeah. The, you saying that um, Stephen got a dark expression. I think that's just a really good note on how great of an actor Samuel L. Jackson is. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely in the... Basically, any A-list actor, you're like, oh, that's Samuel L. Jackson. That's Steve Buscemi. That's Brad Pitt or Tilda Swinton or whoever the hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, ideally, whatever movie you're watching it in, it's like, oh, that's no longer Tilda Swinton. That's the um, weird mortician from the dead don't die you what know? a just very niche role to pick for her very nice i was gonna call out her role as twin newsies or directors from hail caesar because uh, that also was a good. very good one the um i don't know what they're called in dr strange the monk oh yeah uh she's a monk in dr strange the white witch yeah and line how many Tilda Swinton roles do we know? We also I'm have her as the evil businesswoman in Oakshaw. 
and the head of the train and Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah, those are good calls. Mm. Okay. She's got quite the storied role. <laughs> She's got a history in Hollywood. <laughs> anyway, we see Steven uh, call Mr. Candy into the kitchen, and then he's like, oh, okay, I can handle it myself. Meet me in the library. <laughs> Stage whisper style. And back in the library, Steven's circling some cognac, as anyone would. What was that movie where they were all spinning the Rear brandy? window. Rear window. <laughs> <laughs> he's rear windowing some brandy in the library <laughs> it's so dramatic if you haven't seen rear window you have to watch it just for the brandy stirring scene because it's egregious it is nuts just three people in perfect synchronization swirling brandy <laughs> not even talking yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> really just thinking about it fucking ridiculous it's weird uh so they're in the library and steven kind of clues candy in on the fact that Hildy and Django know one another and he lets Candy know that hey you're being played yeah they're never gonna come back and buy this fighter yes they're just here for Hildy you're gonna lose out on twelve thousand dollars because they're not gonna buy Eskimo Joe mm -hmm. they're gonna swindle you for a three hundred dollar slave mm -hmm. truly and Candy doesn't like that shit he comes back into the dining parlor with a skull of, oh, what was his name? Uh, old Ben. Old Ben. And how he has three particular dimples in an area of servitude. He's talking about phrenology, which is already an outdated science. So he's a flat earther of racists. <laughs> I think that you said that in our original recording. Yeah, he's, he's scum. Um, and he's dumb scum. Dumb, not even French scum. Yeah. They don't make clear that phrenology was outdated by 1858 in the movie. No. Um, but it was just a little fun fact online that everything he's talking about is completely disproven and accepted to be false by everybody. Yeah. And in 2020, we also know it's false. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Candy. <laughs> was, uh, watching it the first time before I saw this fun fact, I'm like, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, of course, uh, of course, not the case. But things are clearly more tense, mm -hmm. and this is where the the one that everybody on the internet loves, Candy, smashes a cup, and he says, "You're playing me." Cuts his hand. Oh, it's real blood. Apparently, I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. That's but... a hep C risk, if anything. Right? Because he rubs it. Yeah, all over Kerry Washington's face, Broomhilda's face. Um, I never know. I just flip between. If I know the actor's name and the character's name, I just go back and forth. That's fair. But uh, yeah, he rubs his bloody hand on Broomhilda's face and says, I know you're playing me. She costs $12,000, not $300. We're doing the deal. And uh, Dr. Schultz is fine, okay. Because they have their guns drawn on him. Yeah, it's going to be a massive shootout uh, if it does not go the way that Candy prescribes. And Dr. Schultz, may I be perm permitted to get my billfold? So oh, it's going to yeah. happen. <laughs> he pays the $12,000 and then Candy's like, great, let's have white cake. <laughs> white cake. White cake. In the parlor. What could be the hubbub about white cake? 
Just a classic reference dessert right there. Do you think cake must mean something? Gets brought up three times. That makes it a theme. Because it gets brought up at the fur trader sheriff's place. And then twice in this scene. Or this scenario. Hmm. I suppose. I don't know. Opulence and... Cake is sweet. Sweet. Who doesn't like a good cake? (laughs) Um, In any case, back in the parlor, Dr. Schultz is eating white cake, as one does. And he says to Candy, Oh, you must like... uh, Three Musketeers, for you named D'Artagnan after one of the main characters. Mm. That's crazy, because Alexander Dumas was black. And Candy has a sour face, because he obviously didn't know that, because he's an uneducated bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, deal is done. Schultz is going to go. He's like, thanks, Mr. Candy. And Candy stands up, and he's like, wait a minute. Deal's not done. Unless I get a handshake. You can't leave if you don't shake my hand. Right. I want to shake his hand. Same energy. (laughs) I just want to shake his hand. Yo. Great great, uh, YouTube video. Mm -hmm. Wild man on a plane wanting to shake someone's hand. Gets yoinked off that plane. But look it up. Good times. Good times. Unlike what's about to go down. Oh, yes. Dr. Schultz, uh, instead of shaking his hand, is like, I'm going to shoot him. And then he shoots him. He doesn't say, I'm going to shoot him. He just shoots him. <laughs> He's not like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. He said, I couldn't resist. And after that, there is a shoot up. And it's a pretty big, good one. A bunch of people flood the estate. And freedom, freedom gets played while Django's shooting up motherfuckers. And... There's bullets flying, and bodies are getting chewed up by bullets, and it's intense, it's insane. But eventually, Django gets overpowered. Yeah. I feel like this movie uses its R rating so well. You know, like, an R-rated movie, it's like, oh yeah, a bunch of people die, there's a lot of shooting. This one, I mean, this shootout is not just people get shot and fall over. Like, they're exploding, they're getting shot... Uh, while they're dying, they're lying on the floor being hit by stray bullets. The walls are being caked in blood. And the setting is just getting destroyed in this shootout. So I feel like so many times I'll watch a movie like, I don't know, The Expendables or a Taken movie. It's like, oh, Liam Neeson's really good at shooting people. They just fall over. But here, like, people get hit by bullets going through bodies and... Um, people are shooting their own friends by accident it's it's fucking crazy and i don't know how to describe it uh, without you seeing it but it's it's basically as chaotic as an actual gunfight yeah like must be like shit is going down imagine shooting a meatloaf with red paintball pellets yeah <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it yeah it's it's meaty impactful explosive and the music is perfect and uh yeah, it, it culminates in Stephen taking Hildy hostage, mm-hmm. forcing Django to surrender. And then we cut to him hanging upside down where he is naked. He's naked as Jaybird. And harassed by Walton Goggins, who comes in and threatens to cut his balls off with a hot knife. Which is good because that cauterizes the wound right away. Yeah. With, but, but that's also Stephen, how they. Oh, what? That's how they castrate. 
cattle. Right. Uh, Stephen also says, like, they do that a lot, but they always bleed out. You know, they're not any good at it. Uh, because Stephen comes into the barn and basically says, they wanted to cut your dick off or your tongue out or beat you to death. But um, I kind of convinced him to send you to this mining company mm-hmm. where you will break rocks and then get hit in the head with a hammer and die. Once your back gives out. Yeah. So it's uh, not a very dignified end that they have planned for him. Or a dignified scene. They've really reduced him to uh, as low as they can for someone's human dignity. You know, upside down, naked, with a muzzle on. It's, uh, It's a really... Fucked up visual, but he did have a muzzle on. Yeah. Did they shave his head earlier in the movie? His head. He gets a haircut. Yeah, yeah. Because he has short hair now. Yeah, at some point when he's traveling around with uh, Schultz, he gets a haircut. Gets a haircut. Which you know that's nice. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I like haircuts. Uh, anyway. He gets he gets put on a cart, pulled by a mule. Where does he get to walk? He is on a separate horse because he has been designated as like very risky. Mm. So he's in a uh, a convoy to the Laquintiki Mining Company with a bunch of other with like three yeah. other slaves. Yeah, and he's on his own horse. He's not in a cage. Okay, okay. Yes, I was just trying to think. Um, and it's a bunch of Australians, or New Zealanders, I can't tell the difference, bringing him to this mining company. And among them is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> he loves to insert himself into his movies, which, you know, that's fun for any actor or director. Maybe he wanted to be an actor. He's not bad at it. No. No, he's not. Yeah, but Django is like, hey, wait a minute. I'm a bounty hunter. And they're trying to get rid of me because there's a good bounty up there. It's Smitty Bacall. Check my pocket. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, he still has the bill from earlier. And Tarantino's like, holy shit, he's a bounty hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he goes to the other slaves and he's like, hey, why why did he get kicked out, essentially? And they're like, because he's a bounty hunter. <laughs> holy shit. And he's, uh, he's believed. And he is going to get his own mule, but the mule has dynamite on it, and he doesn't want the dynamite, so the dynamite gets thrown in with the other slaves, which is like, damn. But it also clears up the horse for him. And they <laughs> hand him they hand him a gun, which Django promptly uses to shoot the two slavers, and then he's on his way. Yes. Also, we didn't really talk about this, but on the way to Candyland, and also... Um... In this cart is a slave that has gotten a lot of screen time earlier in the movie. And I don't know if he's named or anything, but basically we we see this one specific actor who has been on the same travel as Django. And he goes from hating Django because he's a black slaver to being imprisoned with Django. And now Django kills these slavers that are New Zealanders or Australians and takes off and... This really bugged me, but we basically see this guy look very detestfully at Django, and he hates him. And now as Django rides off with a gun to go save his wife, he's just, this same guy just nods and smiles. <laughs> and it's just so corny, and 
I don't know. It's it's funny, but it's really bad and convenient, in my opinion, that this one dude was on the same path on such a notoriously brutal, um, you know, world and trade. Like, well, he represents us, the audience. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a stand-in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Django takes off back to Candyland with dynamite and a rifle. Oh yeah, he makes a pit stop at the cabin and he kills the motherfuckers who treed and hound tore D'Artagnan. Yeah. Oh, and uh, two things: he takes off bareback on the horse to show like true mastery. You know, he's he's not on a saddle anymore. He is a bareback rider, and then. When he kicks in the shed door, he's just like, D'Artagnan, motherfuckers, and kills them all in like a moment. So, he's at the top of his game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he's going to go save his bride. And the funeral party? Miss, Miss Candy, the sister, and Stephen come in singing hymns, and Django's at the top of the steps, and he's like, game time you fuckers and essentially he shoots them all he says i am that one in ten thousand and uh steven does not get spared Mm -hmm. he doesn't get shot immediately either he gets to die in the flames of candyland as Django blows it up and rides off into the night he gets kneecapped and oh uh, kneecapped too yeah as he blows up the house and rides off with uh, Brunhilde to to the end credits. And, yeah. Um, Happy ever after. Yeah. I guess they're going to go north. Yeah, because, I mean, he's got freedom papers for the both of them. Mm-hmm. Right, he picks up the freedom papers when he comes back to Candyland off of Christoph Waltz's dead body. And this is actually a very nice moment that we skipped, but... Uh, during the sale of Broomhilda for Freedom Papers, uh, what Dr. Schultz says is, normally I'd say Auf Wiedersehen, but that means until we meet again, and I never wish to see you again, so to you I say goodbye. And then it turns into a shootout, but here we see Django pick up the Freedom Papers, and he you know, puts his hand on uh, Schultz's head and says Auf Wiedersehen, and then he goes to save his wife, and it's just a... Uh, very good cap on their relationship, and they've both built each other up, I guess. But yeah, what are uh, what do you, what do you think of the movie? What are your yeah. pluses and minuses it's, here? It's been a minute since we've seen it, but I would say it's an excellent action romp. Say the n word a lot. Yeah, and I mean in context it makes sense, and it's just so much. They, Tarantino didn't write himself in to say it. He, he does refer to them as uh, blacks, you know, which is dehumanizing and bad. Yeah, but he, I don't think on he the, says the N-word. On the scale of racism. On the scale of right, yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's less egregious than, say, Pulp Fiction, where he says it five times rapid fire for, for yucks, you know. It's not about the coffee in my kitchen. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. What uh what'd you like? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
really great characterization, great character writing, like you said about the costuming, just excellent scenery. I felt like I was there, but it was anachronistic because there was like sunglasses and shit and blue suits, I don't know. Indigo dye is, uh, you know, purple. I guess blue by extension is the color of royalty because making clothes of such rich colors can be quite expensive. He probably picked those clothes, maybe, because they were the most expensive in the shop. Oh, yeah. That'd be a that'd be a power move. Yeah, and even the um when he gets to Big Daddy's house and he's getting shown around, the woman's like, "Are you sure you're not a slave? You choose to dress like that." <laughs> so it's pretty good digs. The suit is also supposed to represent the Dutch boy, which I don't remember the deeper meaning of, but I don't know. Will you give your thoughts? I'll look that up quick. Yeah, I liked everything you liked. I, I thought it was super entertaining, and the action was really great. The characters were really great. Also, something we didn't really touch on was the music in the movie, and I thought oh, the music yeah. was so cool because we discussed at the beginning of the movie they play this old Enrico, I think it's Enrico Morricone music of Django, and then there's also montages where they'll say, oh, um, they basically sing a song that describes the characters and it's a very classic sounding music. And I think, you know, it's not music I enjoy. It's nothing I would listen to uh, in my free time. But in the context of this movie, it's so interesting. I was actually thinking about it before we started recording how the Django song way back when is probably like very majestic and sweeping. And when you're watching a John Wayne movie when it first came out back in, you know, the 50s or whatever the hell. Or 60s, 70s, I don't know. When were John Wayne movies coming out? Before the 70s. Uh, let's say 50s. Is that you, John Wayne? Pilgrim. It's not but, uh, when they were attached to those movies, probably, I have to imagine, taken seriously. And the music was, you're about to go on an adventure. And now, when we hear that music, it's like, Oh, this is like those old cowboy movies. So, uh, you know, kind of hokey, but fun. And, you know, just a very stereotypical story of a gunslinger and all that. Yeah. So it's it's really cool how this music can be used. And it's the very same sounding music that it used to be, but it means something totally different now. Now it's like you're in for a, a campy romp that's going to be a, a bit nuts and an adventure. And back then it's like you're going to see some wild shit, you know. I don't know. I, I like the music, long story short. Yeah. Uh, I also liked when they pulled in modern music. Yeah. I think he, you made a really funny observation that Quentin Tarantino must just be sitting there listening to a bunch of tracks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he hits up all of his temps and he's like, I need to put a rap song in here. Please bring me rap music. <laughs> and he's just studiously listening to a bunch of, like, Rick Ross. <laughs> like, this is the one. Uh, the boy in blue uh, has a striking resemblance. So Django's outfit has a striking resemblance to a painting called Boy in Blue. That was the inspiration for the 1919 movie bearing the same name by filmmaker F.W. Murnau. And Murnau invented the unchained camera technique. So it is, in oh. fact, a pun. <laughs> wow. Goes deeper than I thought it would. Yeah. I thought it would just be like, oh, Dutch boy, that sounds like a painting. He looks like a painting. But no. A bunch of wild stuff. Yeah. Much like the West in this movie. 
I guess what's keeping this from a 10, because this is not a 10, is, you know, there's complicated questions about it that I just don't know enough about, and um, they personally make me feel weird. You know, stuff like, what does it mean that, as you pointed out, Dr. King saves Django and enables all of this, and uh, is it a spectacle of slavery and stuff? Like, I think it's a fun story, but there's deeper questions that I don't know the answers to that kind of hold me back on it overall. Yeah, that's fair. On three? Yeah. One, two, three, seven. Eight. Okay. I was tied tied between seven and eight. Is that a different rating than you gave it the first time we recorded? I don't remember what I gave it the first time. Oh, man. I hope we didn't put it on the poster already. Yeah, well, now that I'm uh, looking at the files on this computer, I see that we have Inglorious Bastards and Django. Now I'm thinking, did we even screw up the Django recording? Was it just the Bastards recording? Are we re-recording or is this a new recording? I don't know. Reality is a bit mixed for me right now. I hope, well, which one makes the cut? I guess we can pick. I like this one, personally. Tighter. It's tighter. Uh, it's not tighter at all. We're at an hour and 16, so. Wow, all right. Well, <laughs> uh, well after editing, yeah, we'll probably Who knows get it how much editing, though? Sorry. No, that, we'll get it down to like an hour ten because didn't take any breaks to like get up and leave and... Just to eat Chinese food. Yeah, that's cut out, so... That's a secret. I got sesame chicken. I got General Tso's. And I feel like a beast. Um, I would have preferred 30 hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a check for 350000 to cash, so... 30 uh, a day. 30 a day. How many calories is that? Probably 30,000. Who knows? Should we wrap this up? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll go up to eight because I was very sure. on the fence. Or we uh, could do seven and a half. I want to do eight. All right. Eight. Django gets an eight. All right. Thank oh, you. Our socials. Oh, my God. Uh, go to rookiemoviereviews.com. At the end of this episode, we would have each written a short essay about our feelings on Quentin Tarantino. All right. So you can read that blog post. Um Go to Twitter us at RMR underscore reviews or RMR underscore podcast. Yes. Sorry. Rookie movie reviews podcast. So RMR underscore podcast or rookie movie reviews on Facebook or send us an email at rookie movie review dot com. No S. Someone out there has our S. <laughs> We'll We're going to hack it. into their account. We're going to steal that email. Hack into the mainframe. <laughs> do, 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 bye.